0: studios in the harriet tubman center in mid-city los angeles this is the rjla community news i'm adam rice
1: i'm angela birdsong
0: and we have an information-packed show for you today family uh angie's gonna sit down with uh, brother khalid Alaleem, is the president of the park mesa heights council and has been an organizer for students deserve and done a lot of great work around
1: town And a little later, Adam Rice is going to sit down with Steve Diaz, who is the organizing director from Los Angeles Community Action Network, who will lay out the options tenants have under the new policies passed by Los Angeles city and state government.
0: And to round out the show, our own Lawrence Reyes is going to sit down with Jose Esqueda from Frente de Socialista live on the ground in Puerto Rico. So it's going to be a hell of a show, family. So we have, so we have Brother Khalid on the line, don't
1: we? Yes, we most definitely do. He is the president of Park Mesa Heights Community Council here in Los Angeles. I call it the Nipsey Hustle area, and right we're going to find out what's happening over there with COVID nineteen.
2: Khalim, welcome to Radio Justice. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me, good morning, everybody.
1: Yes. And Park Mesa Heights Neighborhood Council serves High Park, Angeles Mesa, and View Park. Um, no, not View Park. View Heights yes, ma'am. here in Los Angeles. Um, I like to call it the Nipsey Hussle area.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's going to be the one that built Crenshaw District. So yeah, at least he's getting it up and running. Uh, you know, in in memory of him. So it's just uh, it's wonderful. You know, finally. You know after all these years if it, somebody got it kick-started and, and it would be a brother like him
1: right so what is happening in Park Mesa Heights with this coronavirus
2: oh wow you know and I'm sure you know it's thrown everybody for a loop and, and um, I have not been uh, like I say just uh, someone's been touched by it in my family personally, but I know throughout the community, uh, it has been devastating for the simple fact that everybody is not sure as to what this is. You know, it's just a lack of communication all the way down from the president to you know our health officials here that are locally. What do we really do to make sure that we do not spread this virus? And if we catch this virus, what can we do to make sure that You know, we get the proper treatment for it. And so everybody's on pins and needles, but the beautiful thing about it is everybody's complying. You have folks in Park Mesa Heights wearing masks, doing the social distancing, the non-essential businesses are closed, and those businesses that are up and running are, are, are doing what's necessary to make sure that they serve their customers in a safe and efficient way.
1: What are some of the essential businesses that are open in your
2: area? Well, most of them right now, the essential businesses are are, are, our local markets. Uh, Even our corner liquor stores are open to serve the community. Uh, Most of the food or restaurant uh, businesses are open. And a good thing about that, a great thing I should say, is that these businesses are contributing uh, in partnership with Council District 8, Marquise uh, Harris-Dawson, uh, in a what we would call getting food out to the community, so oh really, we have going on right now. Yes, yes. Most of the businesses and the small mom and pop businesses, you know, that includes uh, you you know just the little mom and pop restaurants that are around here they have the capacity to create takeout meals. That's what they're doing. Oh, that is wonderful. And and how how are they distributing that? so in coordination with council district councilman uh harris dawson's office they have teams that are actually just picking up the meals and just it's just volunteers you know going out there and distributing the food and I, I believe they may be using uh i can't remember some of the names of some of these businesses that are there they do the drive-by and then drop stuff off but the grubhub type uh businesses that distribute uh food as well so yeah we do have our, our, our seniors and our veterans being taken care of through those methods.
1: That is wonderful. So they so. What? How do they? How do they? They sign up. What's the process? Is you, you seniors, as far as sixty-five and older, sixty and older.
2: Yeah. So basically, anywhere in the age group of sixty and over, uh, there's a website, a link that they go to, and. If, you know, they're not computer savvy, what we try to do is we coordinate with those senior citizen homes and the Department of Aging and try to figure out uh, where these seniors are at, who are the most vulnerable, and then, you know, that's where we concentrate our efforts. So here in Hyde Park, we have at least four or five different types of senior homes. Okay. So we start there, of course, and then we have the Senior Coordinated Services Center which used to be open. It was, you know, serving seniors, you know, with meals and, you know, just a place to go for seniors. So just because it's closed doesn't mean that it's not capable of serving, you know, the seniors in the way that they were. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're also participating and making sure that we touch the seniors who were going to that center.
1: Okay. Wow. So you guys have four to five senior um, locations in, in the Park Mesa Heights area. Correct any medical facilities in that area?
2: Well, we, we have been blessed and we are, we are getting even more in the terms of expansion. St. John, St. John has been a wonderful partner, a great partner, not only in just making sure that their wellness clinics are on a couple of our school campuses, we have one on Yes Academy, we have one at Crenshaw High, they're also out here doing COVID-19 testing for free. Uh, wonderful yeah So, yeah. how, how so, many te-
1: how many testing sites do
2: you guys so have? right there? now we've, we've done two days of testing so last friday and this past friday yesterday i'm sorry friday uh the uh, 30th mm-hmm. that's when they did the testing uh right out here on Christian 54 so they took appointments and you walk up to the mobile unit and that's how you were seen and served so I understand that the testing takes about maybe 20 minutes and the results take maybe five to 10 days to get back.
1: Wow. Wow. That's, that's really great that you guys have that going on over there um, in in that area, distributing food to, to the vulnerable and, Mm -hmm. and providing testing sites over there?
2: It's a collaboration. So you have Council District 8, you have uh, the Black Workers Center who spearheaded it, and Park Mesa Heights Community Council. And, you know, there are other testing sites with other collaborations and partnerships in the South Central area, but here in Park Mesa Heights, this is the collaboration that we have right now to make sure that folks in this area are being tested as well.
1: And the testing is free?
2: Yes, it is. It's free. The only exception is those patients who have Kaiser cannot be tested, unfortunately. And I think that Kaiser is working it out where um, they can go ahead and get some kind of testing done on their, I guess, dime or through their logistics. But St. John is using their mobile units to go throughout the community and do testing. And it's just been great to work with them. It's been easy. Real efficient, and I'm not sure of the numbers yet. We're, we're mm-hmm. just started, so like I said, last Friday and this Friday. So, we're, we're going to begin to start seeing what the numbers look like in terms of testing. We usually try to get somewhere upwards of 35 people tested a day. Doesn't sound like a lot, but for free. And then trying to ramp this up and make sure that we do it in a way where we can start doing bigger numbers, It's something that we're building towards. So we just ask people for their patience and just keep an ear to the ground on information on when we're going to start having more and more testing. We need to test. We need to track and trace.
1: Right. Yes. Most, most definitely. Wow. Uh, that, that, that is great news. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that that's, that is happening over there, because I know at the at the top of this pandemic, that was the concern, uh, would there be testing sites in our communities, in the black and brown communities? That's right,
2: yeah, and so far, so good. You know, again, we're trying to ramp up capacity. Again, it's a matter of logistics, uh, supplies, the resources, of course, to do the testing, and we're working it out. So within the next three months, We should be at bigger numbers than we are right now. Not sure what those numbers are, but you know, just calling folks, telling folks we're in the area, having them come out, get tested, and then getting them the information back on being negative or positive, and then making sure that we we track that data so that we know what areas that are we hitting, like how many in this high park, how many in, you know, view heights. And where are these locations in, in conjunction with the county and the numbers that they're seeing and being tested and traced.
1: Right. And, and your testing sites in Park Mesa Heights, is it every day? Which what what are the test sites?
2: So so far we've done two tests. Uh, last Friday, this com- this this past Friday, and we usually do it from eight o'clock to three thirty in the afternoon. Okay, and so only Fridays. Right now. Okay. Correct. Yeah, okay. Just last two, so we're, we're we're trying to see how we can incorporate it. You know, maybe after five o'clock. You mm-hmm. know, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of issues with, you know, the mobile unit getting back to where it needs to be before nightfall. Things okay. Of that. Okay. We're volunteering their time to be able to get back. So that's the biggest part is just the logistical part and trying to make sure that we we can test as many people in a certain given area and you know, make sure that we, we have the equipment and the resources to bring it back the next time as well.
1: Now, what about your homeless population in the Park Mesa Heights? What, what's happening
2: with, with them? Councilman District 8, uh, working with hospics and other agencies, Spa 6 and what have you, are doing a phenomenal job in trying to track them down make sure that we find out where they are and then hospice is going out and trying to make sure that these individuals are being served. It is a tedious process. It is hard. We want people to receive the services, but if there's a lot of migration and, or if there are a lot of serious mental health issues, it slows the process and makes it, you know, just a little bit more, uh, like I say, involved, you know, and making sure that we serve the population that has been very much overlooked and very much underserved. So here in Park Mesa Heights, what we're trying to do is make sure that we do it in a systematic and very compassionate way. We don't wanna uproot anybody and tell them this is what they gotta do and where they gotta go. But we wanna make sure that in terms of testing, that if, There is the wherewithal to have this individual wanting to be tested. I mean, this is all voluntary. You can't just force anything on anybody. Right. And we have to do this without getting law enforcement involved. And this is not a law enforcement issue. So we have to make sure that there are caring professionals who know what they are doing in this subject matter. So we're getting there. Uh, I can't tell you how many homeless we have when we did the last count we will here in the Park Mesa Heights area. I'm not saying the whole county in general. Yeah. We're looking at somewhere from, you know, upwards of maybe 800 to maybe around about 3,000. Really? In the Park Mesa Heights area? Well, you know, Park Mesa Heights is pretty broad and homeless in its term is pretty broad. We, we include those folks who are sleeping in their cars. Okay. You know, not just out there on the streets, Those people who are not housed, they're they're sleeping in their vehicles. And then, you know, unfortunately, our community is a, a bastion of, you know, youth who are homeless as well. So from, let's say, anywhere from maybe 14, 15 years old to 25, you know, these individuals are out here on the streets, too, to some degree. You know, they're couch surfing or, you know... So, this is hard, Angela, but we're working on it and and we're trying to get as much resources in the area to distribute throughout the area as possible
1: right well i'm I'm still just amazed by by the numbers, but I guess even when you look at the numbers for l a county mm hmm we, we you know we, we, we yeah exactly, high right. numbers. Right. Wow. I I just for some reason, I just thought you was going to say like (laughs) 50
2: to 100. I wish. wish. No. I mean, throughout the whole area, you know, we we see it. You know, you you could drive up any street, you know, Vernon, you know, coming east to west, Uh, going down Florence, you know, coming from west to east, you know, just on the main thoroughfares. Let alone, you know, if you go back in our industrial areas,
1: Mm -hmm. if
2: you go back over in Park Mesa Heights industrial areas, we're talking about off of Southwest Drive, St. Andrews, Gramercy Place, over in that area in between Van Ness, Arlington, and Western. Oh, right. Yes. RVs and mobile homes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. People back there themselves. Right. Over there by Vector 90. Yes, ma'am.
1: Right. Okay. I hear you now. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, thank you for painting a picture for, for, for me and, and, and for the audience. Mm-hmm. So, but wow, that, that, that many um, homeless. But that's, that's very good that you guys are making efforts to make sure that they're being serviced and, and taken care of without law, law enforcement yeah. Getting, yeah. getting involved. Now, how is the gentrification movement going in in Park Mesa with with COVID nineteen? As it come to has it slowed it down?
2: Is it at a halt? What what's going on exactly? Well, you know, this all started way back when when the train was being announced coming up Crenshaw Boulevard that we saw the 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 light coming down the tunnel. So. From that point on, you know, we have had developer after developer come into the community, come before the community council, talking about what type of housing that they're building. It's always affordable, mixed use. uh, But the issue is, one, it's in an area where it's not needed, residential. You know, you're trying to put 20 to 70-some units in a single-family home block. Uh, You're taking away the The ability for those people who live in single family homes to enjoy their homes the way they've always, you know, have, you know, without somebody looking down in their backyard or looking through their window because you got this monstrosity sitting next door to you. Then a lot of the housing that is being built are just small, you know, so it's built with the transit oriented individual in mind, somebody who's single or may, you know, have. A spouse one way or another or, or a living partner and so 800 square feet may not be you know too much room for them but in the park mesa heights community where it is a family oriented community a lot of this development is unnecessary and unwanted and so we have let's say a, a pretty contentious relationship with the department of city planning for allowing permits to be pulled and people to start, you know, putting brick and mortar up before they even come talk to us to tell us what our needs are, what needs are they trying to fulfill, and whether or not they will take care of the homeless that are in our area, let alone make sure that aesthetically, you know, it fits in with the community plan and ha- and what have you. And in terms of what COVID has done, really, is just... I, It's just so much, Angela. I mean, just think about somebody who doesn't have health insurance and they're faced with, you know, life challenges of, you know, their health, whatever their health condition may be at that point in time. And then you got COVID on top of this. And now the fact that, you know, this individual or individuals may not be able to go to work and make the money that they need to sustain themselves in the place that they're living now let alone afford the new rents, the so-called affordable and market rate rents that are coming in here with these new developments. So it has been a very, very unfortunate time for residents in Park Mesa Heights, but for people in Los Angeles in general, because gentrification is much more than somebody just moving in and displacing somebody. You know, it, it actually destroys families you know, to the point where, you know, somebody's health may start suffering or, you know, somebody's economic, uh, their income may start suffering. You right. know, your rent is $500 you know, and you're getting subsistence support from Section 8. Well, you can't move into a lot of these buildings because Section 8 is capped. So therefore you're stuck where you're at. And if your landlord decides to raise his rents,
1: Mm-hmm. So it's been mm-hmm.
2: happening throughout California, then you know what happens next. You just increase the homeless population.
1: Right, right, displace families, displace individuals. When do you guys meet again? Um, the, the Neighborhood Council, how is that going? Because everybody's doing Zoom, just like we're doing
2: our, ourselves yeah. right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a great thing. It's a great idea. It, Empower LA, over the last month and some, some few weeks, has been trying to develop a process in where community councils can start meeting by Zoom. Long story short, they went on ahead and bought out some licenses through their budget so that the neighborhood councils can start having a Zoom meeting. We basically pretty much had to wait until they went through this process and were able to share it with us so that we can do it in the most efficient, and democratic way and that's what people just have to just sit back and be patient about want to meet want to serve our community but we have laws and so therefore you have to abide by the brown act you have to be careful with you know having meetings and saying and doing things in those meetings and then having to turn around and reconsider all of that information because you did something wrong and you did it in a way where you weren't supposed to So now we have the Zoom meetings coming up. Park Mesa Heights hopes to have our first board meeting on the 12th of this month. Our Normal meeting times are the second Saturday of every month. And we used to meet at 3321 West 54th Street. Well, since we just got the license Friday, we're going through some training. So the board needs to get up to speed on how to use all the bells and whistles of Zoom, make sure that everybody can get on, so you know the whole nine yards, the whole technical. Right,
1: make sure you don't get (laughs) hacked.
2: Yeah, and that's the issue for me, you know, and then a lot of other people, because we use our laptops for other things than Zoom. So, you know, (laughs) it's vital information and and beautiful pictures, I'm sure. We do not want to get lost or, you know, end up somewhere where we don't wanna. So that's it, we're gonna have our first board meeting on the 12th of May. Okay. And we're going to see what happens. Okay. You
1: know, okay. Yes. And, and what is your website? Because I, I, I went on your website um, the, the other day and saw that you guys had some really good information for your constituents. Uh,
2: ParkMesaHeights.org. That's correct. That's correct. www.parkmesahights, all one word, dot
1: well, Brother Khalid, thank you so much for um, giving me some time today to talk about what's happening in, in your community over there in Park Mesa Heights and, and how COVID is affecting it and, and you guys' response to it. sounds like you guys are having um, um, bringing dignity to the community in this pandemic to making sure that people are, are getting fed, people are getting tested. And, and that the homeless are being um, serviced as well. Oh, uh, you know, just one, one last question. So what part makes taking care of the homeless tedious?
2: The, the bureaucracy. You would think that you could just walk up to someone and say, hey, how can I help you? How can I serve you? And then just like, these are the resources. You need a bed, you need food, you need a job. This is what we have for you. And those are all there. But again, when we're talking about a certain mental health aspect, when we're talking about the personalization of this individual who has lived on the streets and now feels comfortable with that, trying to reacclimate them back into the society through a bureaucracy that always wants to have paperwork, you know, and always wants to have this or that done first before we can actually get to serving the needs of this individual. That's what makes it tedious. It's not the people. It's it's, it's the bureaucracy that makes this. And the bureaucracy is
1: coming from from
2: which agency? Well, you know, it's just across the board. If, If you think about this, this is a situation that nobody actually goes to school for to get a PhD on how to help homeless people get off the streets, you know. So we're all learning. So we all have to be patient with this. And so there are organizations that... Have a mission statement and this is what they do. Well, it may not be the same as the mission statement from this other organization. So, how do we get the two to collaborate and build off one another's strengths and weaknesses? That's the tedious part. Okay, okay.
1: Thank you for, for that explanation. I should have mm-hmm. asked that earlier, but I just thought mm-hmm. about that um, yeah. in, in hindsight. Well, um, if you want more information about Park Mesa Heights, go to Park Mesa Heights dot and see what the resources they have for their constituents and maybe you want to mirror what they're doing if you're not providing um, services to your vulnerable um, population brother khalid thank yes. you so thank much you. Um, be safe stay mass yes. and um, peace and blessings to you
2: same to you thank
1: you sister okay I am Angela Birdsong and you are listening to Radio Justice LA I
2: rule the world. Imagine that. Imagine that I free all.
1: Here is the Radio Justice Community Calendar. Free COVID-19 testing is available to all Los Angeles County residents, whether or not you are experiencing COVID-19 symptoms. Same or next day testing priority is still given to people with symptoms. Testing is by appointment only. Go to coronavirus.lacity.org forward slash testing for details. Join Stop LAPD Spying Coalition Community Meeting over Zoom for Part 7. On Tuesday, May 5th at 6 p.m., go to StopLAPDSpying.org or Facebook for Zoom details. Fresno State is hosting a K-12 Ethnic Studies and Teacher preparation Statewide Webinar Series. Thursday, May 7th from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m., one of the featured panelists is our Dr. Melina Abdullah, RGLA host of Move the Crowd radio show. For more information, please email Dr. Patricia D. Lopez at pdlopez at csufresno.edu. Get Lit presents its ninth annual classic jam, Friday, May 8th, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. online and be amazed and entertained by the talent, wisdom, and words of incredible poets. Cheer on your favorite team and even take part in the voting. Check out getlit.org for more information. NLG LA Housing Committee hosts Eviction Defense 101 every Sunday in May from 10.30 a.m. to 12 p.m. Supporting the Tenants' Rights Movement and Defend Rent Strikers. RSVP and more info go to nlg-la.org. If you want your event to be placed on the Radio Justice Community Calendar, then email pc at radiojustice.org
0: right on man you know i really appreciate brother khalid anytime we need some uh the word from down the park mesa and and you know really around the city he always comes on and always shares his time with us you know it's a a good dude for as busy as he is
1: yes he's available always to radio justice and speaking about tenants rights you have steve diaz organizing director from los angeles community action network who is going to lay out the options for tenants under the new policies passed by LA City and state government, right?
0: Absolutely. And we want to welcome Brother Steve to the, welcome back to Radio Justice,
3: my brother. Thank you, Adam. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad you could come on with us because for you, those of y'all that don't know, Steve has been doing tenant work in Los Angeles for creeping up to 20 years. Not to tell your age, my brother. You still the youngest <laughs> one in the circle. Um, so uh, w- let us know, please, what is happening with City Hall? What is going on with renters in Los Angeles? What are the new policies that are coming down the pipe?
3: Yeah, so a couple things. Just let me start off. The city of LA has done a really good job at telling people that there is an eviction moratorium um, and that they're doing their best to protect tenants. Let me start off by saying that is partially true and that is also (laughs) partially false um, and that they can do way more than what they're saying that they're able to do. So over the course of the last few weeks, the City of LA has enacted a couple of key policies that are great fundamental stepping stones, but still lack a couple of items to make them just better. First and foremost, in the City of LA, there is a rent forbearance program, not a rent forgiveness program, (laughs) which is very different. A rent forbearance means you have, originally you had about three months, um, then it went, then they played around with it. and Then it went anywhere between six and now it's at 12 to pay back your landlord. If you have been impacted by COVID-19, because we know that tenants and a lot of the city of LA is very diverse later on, originally the plan was to ask for proof that people were directly impacted by COVID-19, but later on that got fixed. So as of right now, you do not have to show proof that you have been directly impacted, but it is suggested that you keep that proof in order to fight an eviction later on if that happens.
0: Well, let, let, let me ask a question about this, uh, this back rent. So is this going to be in the form of consumer debt, like a credit card, or is this going to be something your landlord can have you in court demanding, or he'll evict you?
3: As of right now, your landlord can still ask for up to 12 months of back rent. Mm. So it is not consumer debt yet. Uh, there is a push to make it. Uh, but as of right now, there is not a there is no actual policy that ensures that that will happen. And just to be very clear, this is specifically for the city of l a. The other couple of key protections that are very important is a tenant cannot be evicted for an, for an unauthorized guest. So for example, if you're having it come or have your mom or your family member move in, oftentimes landlords would try to evict you for an unauthorized guest. That is not possible during this time. The other two pieces that are really important, is what are called no-fault evictions, cannot happen either. So no-fault evictions are traditionally when the landlord wants to move in a family member, for example, or wants to remove the unit from the rental market through the Ellis Act. Those also cannot happen during the time of the crisis.
0: Now, the what, what other, about nuisance evictions?
3: Unfortunately, nuisance evictions that are tied to health and safety of tenants can move forward Mm -hmm. in terms of the landlord asking for judicial intervention. But as we know, the courts are closed like you mentioned earlier, Uh, but the majority of evictions should not happen unless they immediately threaten the health and safety of tenants in the building. The other piece that's super important, the other two pieces that are super important are you cannot be charged late fees for the back rent. So during the duration of when you owe that rent, you cannot be asked to pay the additional, what any time ranges from $25 to about $50 or even more, depending on your landlord. And then the last one, and this only pertains to units that are covered under the city's rent stabilization ordinance. Which is about six six hundred and twenty some thousand, six hundred and thirty some thousand. A majority of the housing stock in the city of L. A. Right for the next year, those units which those units which traditionally have a guaranteed rent increase will not have a guaranteed rent increase. So, sixty days after the crisis, it's illegal currently for rent increases to occur up to 60 days after the state of the emergency or the stay-at-home orders are lifted. And then it's another year on top of that, that rents cannot go up.
0: We've gotten reports of people getting eviction notices without summons and everything. How is that working? What should they do if they receive something for their landlord, which obviously, since the courts are not open, is bullshit?
3: Yeah, so as of right now, there's something called the Judicial Council, which are the big lawyers of the state that came together, um, they basically are the ones that decide the process by which how courts should be handled. They basically said in the state of California, it is illegal to evict someone. And the mechanism that we're going to basically put in there is we're going to make it extremely difficult for summonses to be generated and court cases to be generated. That said, a landlord can still try to file. A landlord can still have the documents prepared. So tenants need to be very, very aware of the documents. So if you receive an unlawful detainer or what looks to be like an unlawful detainer, make sure, first and foremost, that it has an actual seal that says file on it that traditionally is on the right-hand top corner of the document and a case number right below it. Nine out of 10 times, if it does not have that, it means that the landlord has not taken any action and it's just giving you a copy of the paperwork. If you need additional sort of support or additional sort of clarification, definitely contact your local public interest law firms like Legal Aid Foundation or Inner City Law Center to ensure that they can guide you further. But That's one thing you got to be careful for. Just be sure that you're looking out for that. The other thing is you want to make sure that the summons is there. They'll probably, as part of the summons, which is usually the first page, they'll say, they'll let you know right then and there if it's not attached or anything that says summons is not attached, that nothing legally has happened.
0: Tenants should not try to file an answer to that, correct? Because that will put them in a bad place if it's not correct. an official summons.
3: Tenants should not try to file an answer, should not even try to go to court since the court is closed. Do not pay a lawyer to try to help you. Wait, on contact your local public interest law firm, get their support and take advantage of what they're telling you to do. Right now, tenants are in a great position So we need to make sure that we're following the rules and regulations that are laid out. Like we could be in in an even better situation, but we have to deal with what we have. And do not try to answer that. Do not see that paperwork and run because there's nothing that the landlord can do. The landlord cannot ask for possession of your unit during the crisis.
0: Don't panic, don't move, organize. But speaking of organizing now, L.A. Can is a way to access some public law firms, correct? How do people get a hold of L.A. Can and what do they need to do if they get one of these?
3: Yeah, so L.A. Can has a weekly legal clinic and the best way that they can do so a couple of things. So one is if you get any type of notice, do not panic. You should not panic. You should not run. You should definitely organize like Adam <laughs> just said. Um so, one way to do it is to call LA CAN from Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 12 and leave a message or talk to the front desk person who's answering it at 213 228 0024. They will connect you with Legal Aid Foundation of Los Angeles to better support you in your eviction.
0: Right on, right on. Also, my brother, as we saw actions over the weekend, we've seen actions over the last couple of weeks. What is happening with sheltering our houseless family in hotel rooms?
3: Well, as we saw, um, as on May 1st, many people might have seen, there was a person, a houseless person, who took over a room temporarily at the LA Live building, at the LA Live complex, the Ritz-Carlton complex. Mm -hmm. Um, At the city of LA, for the last, I can't even think how long, has invested in, I, so many zeros in terms of yeah. <laughs> So many zeros or The creation of hotels um, But yet they're not, they're not holding them accountable In this time of crisis Where a majority of them sit vacant The other piece that's also critical When it comes to that is There's a majority of There's a huge number of hotels That also receive uh, Transit oriented tax The tax that they pay the city, the meaning that they don't have to pay for it for a set numbers of years, and yet those units are also being allowed to be vacant while we have thousands of people on the street. Currently, there's about probably 25, maybe 2,700 units that the city of LA has online, but due to its limitation around who qualifies because they are not trying to invest in it, they're trying to invest in other sort of services like the Los Angeles Police Department, mm-hmm. they are following the limited guidance by which the FEMA will reimburse them. Instead of saying, okay, we'll take the money that FEMA is giving us, first and foremost, to get those elderly and most in need off the street first, and then we will invest our own money into getting everyone else off the street to ensure that people are able to shelter in place because they cannot shelter in place without a home.
0: So basically they're not doing shit.
3: They're doing very minimum at a time where they need to do extremely maximum. And they're also relying on traditional models of market-based solutions. Hey, we'll negotiate with the property owner and tell the property owner, let's make a, let's make the deal. Instead of taking the extreme action that's needed, not even extreme, the right action that's needed mm-hmm. and come hotels. For example, the governor did this during the wildfires for people up north, So, and the mayor of Los Angeles has said, I have the power to commandeer, but yet he lacks the political spirit and will to ensure that that happens. Commandeering doesn't mean the hotel owner doesn't get paid. It just means we no longer rely on the traditional negotiation model of, give me 10, give me 20, no, I want 40. The city says we're here to serve the interest of the people, so we're taking this on behalf of the interest of the people, and here's the money for your rent.
0: I mean, you, you would think it would make sense as they're not making any money anyway. Uh, you know, but this seems to be a pattern all over California, correct? I mean, London Bree is refusing to do it. Garcetti is pretending like he doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, being part owner in a hotel does that. What is what is the solution? Uh, do you think that the people need to do now
3: to press and make sure that that happens as soon as possible? So there's two things. So one is elected officials need to be held accountable to commandeer. The mayor of the city of Los Angeles, may, whether it's the mayor of LA, the mayor of San Francisco, or the board of supervisors, depending on how your county, your gover- your county or city gover- government is structured, have the ability to commandeer. So they need to commandeer. It's plain and simple, they need to commandeer. They need to facilitate the process of getting people in faster. Second of all, the big corporations who are saying, no, we don't want people to be housed here because they're houseless and they're going to break stuff. And man, no one's ever going to want to come back like the LA Lives or these other big buildings like the W and Hollywood. They also need to be held accountable because at the end of the day, it's a shame that A, they're getting rid of all their employees, but B, people are dying on the streets because they're not able to shelter in place like many of us are. And they're being allowed to have these vacant units. In Los Angeles, you have a lot
0: of landlords that maybe only own like one property or even people that just simply own their homes that are, Facing problems with their mortgage lenders, is there anything you can let us know about how they would deal with this situation?
3: Yeah, so definitely they should figure out. The big three major lending banks, which I believe are BFA, Chase, and Wells Fargo, reached uh, a gentleman's agreement, for a lack of better words, with the governor <laughs> to say, not a legal agreement, but a gentleman's agreement. Um, hmm to say that they would help support uh, mortgage forbearance. So if they have a mortgage that's associated by one of those banks, they should definitely contact them and try to figure out how to facilitate that. If they have a government-backed loan, so whether if it's guaranteed through Fannie or Freddie or a couple of the other programs that they have, they should contact their bank as well because those have increased protection supposedly um, in place as well through the federal government and HUD.
0: Right on, right on. Thank you, my brother. Thank you for coming on and sharing this with us. Is there anything else you'd like to let the people know before we let you go?
3: They should definitely contact their There's a bill happening at the federal level. Uh, that's calling for rent and mortgage cancellation, um, and they should definitely contact their federal representative, saying that they representative, saying that they support contact the representative and saying they support the bill from I uh, believe it's Omaha. Her name is, um, who is calling for that action, as trillions of do- trillions of dollars are about to be invested in these big corporations. It's the very least that they can do to ensure that people get bailed out as well.
0: Thank you again, my brother, for sharing this with us. And you stay safe out there, man.
3: You too. Thanks, Adam.
4: from the Socialist Front, Frente Socialista, and he's also in coalition with Frente Independentista and Ana Lopez y, y, y la, and, and the diaspora of New York, of New York, Poliquas, United States, Poliquas, and, other, and other Latinos. So uh, Jose, mm-hmm. um, tell us about the Socialist Front.
5: Frente Socialista is another group that was founded in the 90s, uh, yours are saved. And it was an attempt of real socialists and communists to raise the flag for socialism when in the world there was a tendency to preach that socialism
4: was dead. So tell us, um, what kind of work is the Socialist Front doing in regards to the COVID-19 activity? Uh, And I know the imperialist government on this show, on Radio Justice, we listen to socialists. We listen to communists and we listen to anarchists and progressives, uh, that are in the movement for justice. Mm -hmm. So, um, in regards to the stimulus checks, Mm -hmm. um, from what I understand, uh, Puerto Ricans are not receiving it. Right? No. From the, uh, imperialist government of the United States.
5: In Puerto Rico, supposedly the famous $1,200 was supposedly to be deposited to everybody that has a social security. Mm-hmm. In, in Puerto Rico, uh, the, the Puerto Ricans, most of us have social security, but the government here has been working in a combination. I don't know how the word in English is for chapeltería. I think it's shoddy, but it's, oh, but shoddy. it's, not, okay. yes, yeah, it's more than up. clumsy, uh-huh. uh, repressive and corruption. Those three factors are the are the the ones that best describe what is the government doing. The twelve hundred dollar has not been uh, distributed. I'm unemployed since 15th of March. I haven't received one cent of unemployment. Hmm. That's not a government grant. That's my money. I paid yeah, for that
4: insurance. You paid into it, yeah.
5: Okay. And besides that, I have I have I have savings but there are people here that don't have savings. They are not mm-hmm. receiving the unemployment and we are unemployed, not because my boss closed, because the governor said uh, forced us to close with, with their measures. And besides that, in Puerto Rico, there are tens of thousands of people from the Dominican Republic that don't have social security. And they they usually do jobs uh, that are paid by the day or by the week, and those people
4: have, don't have need of any any money. You know, so, when I was in Puerto Rico in August, mm-hmm. um, the my Uber driver, the mm-hmm. guy that um, we uh, we really got along very well, he was from Mexico. Yes. So you have a lot of migrants that have come from. Throughout Latin America, um, to Puerto Rico, to uh, work, um, and a lot of them don't have social security numbers, right? They don't have uh, social security numbers. They don't. They don't uh, qualify
5: for the equivalent of food stamps, money for for uh, for food, snap And besides that, mm-hmm. in Puerto Rico, there are not public health facilities. Right. So if they get sick it will be
4: very, very hard for them. So tell me about, tell us about the austerity that is happening in Puerto Rico. Mm. Uh, I know they're closing schools down, they have closed clinics down. Vieques doesn't have a a medical clinic. Um, And I know that uh, in Bayamón, there's some schools still that don't have roofs, right? And the Secretary of Education, uh, which is a tyrant, she has uh, been closing schools down. Tell us about the struggle in this time of covert um, and also um, in regards to La Federación de Maestro et de, et, and other syndicatos, other unions. Mm-hmm. How, how are they struggling um, to sustain themselves and support themselves with these policies that have uh, essentially re Puerto Rico? In Puerto Rico, there
5: is a recession since 2006. 2006. In 2016, Obama imposed a junta, what we call a junta. It's a group of seven... Promesa, right? You talk de, about promesa. promesa. Uh-huh. There are seven people designated by the president of the United States that control all the budget of the government in Puerto Rico. All of it. Just president designated. Now, nobody from there is elected, And they have forced the government to keep closing about one of every four schools in the public system, keep closing the what what was the left of the public health system, and uh, fire, they fire from the government nearly 25,000 of, of, uh, of employees. And besides that, they have right now saved, now $9,000 million saved to pay for the creditors. To pay to Wall Street, and they're not allowing to use that money for this for this emergency. The unions, mostly Federacion de Maestros, since they did directly with the students, have been denouncing that our students are hungry. There is no there is no food in the, in, in many homes in Puerto Rico. And besides that, they are not allowing to open what you call, what we call the commodora sociale what would be the school mess or the or the school cafeterias and they wanted to open it but without any type of measures of security to the employees that work in the in the cafeterias so you cannot you cannot ask for the workers to sacrifice and risk their life in order to do the job <clears throat> the government here, in, I think that in the states, Mississippi is the one with lowest amount of tests, about 20,000 per million of, of persons. In Puerto Rico, there are only 4,000 per million uh, per million of people. So our, we are very, very low, even below Mississippi. In that, the government does not implement any measure to do the tests. There are no numbers that we can trust to know how is the pandemic doing in Puerto Rico. Puerto Ricans, we have been very, very, very uh, compliant with the idea of social distancing. Keep, uh, we're staying in the house, we use masks, you go out to the streets, everybody has, has the mask, mainly with the glove. but the government is has not given clear numbers or how the pandemic is doing. And they're trying to reopen the businesses starting this Monday without any evidence. We are right now trying to say to the government, we're demanding to our government, the main demand is we need more tests. And the government, it's giving, uh, giving, uh, we say, darle vueltas.
4: Yeah, uh,
5: Uh, uh, a turnaround yeah turn around, and they don't they don't want to give tests and besides that, they already try to they try to stay straight every nine million of dollars
4: for an order of tests. Tell me about from what I understand the governor mm-hmm. uh is using herself uh to test a vaccine, and she wants the people hold We hope that pérate, pérate. so she wants the people of Puerto Rico right to also engage in this vaccine. Now, we know throughout our history, uh, being colonial subjects, mm-hmm. we have been uh, subjected to many experiments, the sterilization of women, La Operacion, um, Operation Bootstrap. Um, tell us about this governor, this colonial governor, that is, that do you think she's actually being tested or she's taking a placebo?
5: No way. She's a liar. She's she's a compulsive liar. That uh, people must know that she was the secretary of justice for Ricky Roselló. Huh? When the people in the last summer, summer of two, 2019, we fired the governor, she occupied the space because she was the official by the constitution, but she was not elected by anyone. She's right. a corrupt secretary of justice, and she's a liar. She said before, she first said that she didn't want to run for governor again, but now she's candidate for for election. And that's one of the problems we have. The governing party is divided in two factions, her faction and the faction of the other candidate. And they're trying to boycott the the job of the other side faction. And people are in the middle of that struggle. We cannot accept an experiment of vaccine because what you said is very true. In Puerto Rico, they experimented with Agent Orange that they used later in Vietnam. They experimented with the with the contraceptive kill. They experimented with radiation against the people that Obama had to accept that they did it. Uh, this is an, ex- even in Puerto Rico, they even experimented with the zip codes. The the first zip were implanted in Puerto Rico. And right now, we are the place in the planet with more GMOs by by square mile. They are experimenting with the food in Puerto Rico. Just in case that anything goes wrong for Monsanto, uh, we are the ones that are going to pay with our life those experiments. And now they're trying to tell us that they're going to try the vaccine with us. No way. Okay, with the government, okay, it will be fine if it experimented with hair. With Nobody would, not nothing, would be
4: loose for humanity. And um, so the Puerto Rican people, el eh, eh, pueblo uh, uh, Puerto Rico, la gente, um, ellos están en pie de lucha, right? They are in struggle and resisting um, the testing, um, the, the testing of a vaccine to deal with the COVID nineteen virus. Okay. Is that right is now, that,
5: uh-huh. Yeah. Right now, there is only comments about the vaccine. Right now, there's not such thing as an official policy. They they haven't been starting the vaccine, but we are alert on that because if we're, uh, at least yes, right now, Puerto Rico knows that the government is lying to us. But since we are we are closing our house,
4: he has almost a monopoly of public communication. Mm. In regards to disaster capitalism, right, we know um, what happened, the oppression that happened um, in Puerto Rico um, during the hurricane. Mm -hmm. uh, Hurricane Maria. Mm -hmm. Um, And so again, we were denied, we were the resources were canalized against us, the Puerto Rican people. Um, So what do you say about disaster capitalism, and you got two minutes to summarize. Okay,
5: two minutes to summarize. Yeah, disaster capitalism was uh, tried in Puerto Rico in in 1898 when the United States invaded Puerto Rico, and then in the 1920s, Puerto Rico was the poorest country of the Caribbean. Right. Thanks to disaster capitalism of a storm and the change of natural uh, of the farming in Puerto Rico to the sugar cane. Besides that, Puerto Rico has not been able to develop an economy that it's, 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 it's cited uh, in the Caribbean. Puerto Ricans are in fight. We not depend on the United States. That's a falsehood. The that's a uh, United States takes out $4 of each dollar they send us to Puerto Rico. Right. They take out four of us. Right. What we need is to take out the United States of the equation and try to construct an economy in a country for the workers
4: in Puerto Rico. Jose, thank you. I don't want no
1: And that's going to do it for us today on the Radio Justice Community News weekly.
0: We want to thank all of our guests, Brother Khalid Alalim, Steve Diaz from the Los Angeles Community Action Network, and Jose Esquerda. From Frente de Socialista, on the ground in Puerto Rico, and our guest interviewer, Brother Lawrence Reyes, who hosts From Decolonization to Liberation, right here on Radio Justice on Fridays at 5 p.m.
1: And until next time, family, all power to all oppressed people.
0: And peace to you all, but only if you're willing to fight for it.